Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. That piece of music was written by Ludwig van Beethoven. And uh, tradition has it that he was thinking about his mother when he played that because his father was such a brute. And I think I've shared with you before how that when Beethoven was a little boy, he, he played piano and his father would come home drunk with his uh, friends and uh, little Ludwig would be sleeping and his father would come in and rouse him out of sleep and slap him around and make him play the piano while he and his friends, his father's friends, you know, drank and played cards and those kinds of things. And then if he made a mistake, then his father would go over and smack him around because he made a mistake. But the one gentle person in his life was his mother. And you hear that, that gentleness in, in that music. So thank you, Miss Ginger, for for that beautiful piece of music. Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. So someone's going to have to tell me what time it is, because when I look at that clock, it looks to me like I have an hour and a half or so. Uh, something happened. The power must have went out here. So. But uh, so so you'll have to uh, when I have uh, five minutes left. Okay, so it's eleven twenty. All right. Okay, I see you. All right. So Matthew chapter twenty-two, and we're going to look at uh, verses fifteen through forty. And uh, so I, I put together just a, a short sermon today. There are only four points. Okay, four main points. That is. But the, the title of the message, Accurate Theology is a Personal Responsibility. Accurate theology 
is a personal responsibility. And sometimes uh, you'll hear people say, well, that, you know, all that theology and stuff, that's not important. Oh, that is incorrect. That is not correct. Because everyone has a theology. I've heard it said that some people have a living room theology. And then others have a closet theology. Say, so, you know, the living room where everything is set just right, but hardly everybody ever sits in there with all those nice things. And then the closet theology, what people actually really believe, what they keep from everyone else, but can't hide from God. Well, today we're going to look at three events, that is, the three questions, really, that were posed to the Lord Jesus as he was challenged by various religious groups. And so, let me pull my specs out here. And uh, beginning at verse 15 in chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, that is, entangle Jesus. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, 
Again, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we ask that you be our teacher. Enable us to understand your word and to apply it accurately to our lives. Help us to understand that we bear responsibility for what we believe, and for what we teach, and for what we share, for the things that we say, and how that we act. And Father, we pray for anyone here today or anyone listening by podcast or the internet. We pray, dear Father, if they're lost, that they'll come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And for anyone who is discouraged, we pray for encouragement. For those who are ill, we pray for healing. For those who are struggling with life, we pray, Father, that you would give them strength, hope. And, O oh Lord, we pray for our country, our nation, that it will seek righteousness. And we confess, O oh Lord, that our country has turned away from you, but we pray that your people will stand up and proclaim truth, that your people will bow their hearts and cry out to you, O Lord. And we pray, Father, hear our prayer and turn our land to you. Now, O Lord, as we study your holy word, we pray, speak to our hearts and may our hearts be open to you in the name and to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we have here strange bedfellows, as it were, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives of their day, and the Herodians were really the liberals. So you have two different parties, and they really didn't care for each other. Because the Pharisees hated the Romans, and they hated Roman rule. But the Herodians, because they were related to Herod the king, etc., and received their position from the Romans, well, they got along fine with the Romans. And they felt like paying taxes to Caesar was okay. And this tax that that they come and challenge uh, Jesus with is a poll tax that was implemented by Rome upon each individual of a certain age, whether you were male or female, you had to pay this poll tax. It was a requirement. Not the tax that uh, you'll recall that, uh, that Jesus had Peter pay a few chapters earlier in the book where he sent Peter to, to, to fish and, and he caught that fish and in, in the fish's mouth was a, was a coin. That, that was the temple tax that they paid which was required by the Jewish law. All males were to pay that, that temple tax. But this tax was a poll tax. And notice the plot. So these two groups who really didn't get along with each other, well they joined together in an attempt to entrap Jesus, to entangle him if they could, so that then they could accuse him of being a traitor to the Jewish people and also accuse him of being one who was a rebel against the Romans because their goal was to destroy Jesus. 
So they, they come to him, and notice, they lavish upon him false praise. Be real leery. You know what the Bible says? Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Oh, wait a minute now. Is that a, is that a racial statement? <laughs> uh, I'm accusing me. <laughs> well, I've been accused of all kinds of things. <laughs> but that's what it says in the, in the scripture. But they come with flattering tongues. Now, what they said was actually true. And when it says that they said that he cared for no man, they don't mean that he didn't care about. What they were referring to was Jesus would not compromise his message of truth for anyone. That he was faithful to the truth. And the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. He loves, he loves the least important as much as he loves the most important. You follow? That's what they're actually referring to, that Jesus shows respect and honor to all, but he will not water down his message in an effort to compromise or to impress anyone or to win anyone's favor. And notice how he responds. Here they're complimenting him and he calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites because he stood for truth and he knew the evil intent of their hearts. And God's people are to call out sin like their master. We are to differentiate between what is right and what is wrong. To be sure, God loves all people. And the Bible teaches that God wants all people to be saved. But the Bible also teaches that not all people will be saved. That's the tragedy. That God loves all people and he, he gives his message and his offer of forgiveness and love to all people. But so many people reject the offer. And if a person does not accept Christ in this life, they will be rejected by God in the next. But we, as God's children, bear a responsibility to proclaim the message and to differentiate between what is acceptable and that which is unacceptable, that which is wicked and evil, and that which is holy and true. God's standard. Now notice... He answers them. He answers them. As you look there. Show me, he says, the money. They bring him the denarius, the coin. Now, it wasn't because he didn't know whose image was on there. But he was, he was stating a fact. Whose image? and inscription. So both the picture and also what it said. Some of the coins said Divus et Pontifex Maximus, Latin for God and High Priest. Because you see the Caesars were viewed as divine. 
and their image on the coin would be a violation also of the commandment, right? Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image of any likeness. And then that statement that the Caesar was divine was in fact and is in fact blasphemous. And so the Pharisees rightly refused that. You follow? Because it was a violation of the commandment. So that's how they figured they would catch Jesus because how would he wiggle his way out of this? So how does Jesus respond? He says, well, that coin belongs to Caesar. And because it belongs to Caesar, give it back to Caesar. See, he takes that, that word and he says, they say, pay, is it right to pay or to give to Caesar? He says, to pay him back. That's the term that he used. It means to give back what belongs to him. And in so stating, he also declares that there is an actual place for government in the lives of all people and nations. God's people are to be law-abiding citizens. God's people are to be tax-paying citizens. And if you cheat on your taxes, you are sinning against God. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be as responsible in finding every deduction that you can take. I, I really appreciate that. I don't know if you recall when, uh, when uh, the former President Trump and uh, Hillary were having a debate. <laughs> and she said something about his taxes. And he said, well, you're the ones who put all those laws. And he said, I just use the laws to, to take every deduction I can. <laughs> but his, one of his finance managers, all right, not to his knowledge, but one of his finance managers cheated the government and eventually was found out. And you see, Christians are not supposed to cheat the government. Because in cheating the government, you're cheating yourself, but you're also cheating God. As Christians, we are to be law-abiding citizens, and we are to pay our taxes. So they marveled. That is, they were astonished at his word, and they left silent because... What did he say? Give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But he said something else. And give to God what is God's. Everything we have belongs to God. Moses said, and do not say, when you become wealthy and successful, do not say that by the strength of my own arm I got me this wealth. Because it is God, the Lord God, who gives you the ability and the power to produce wealth. Every talent and every ability that you have has been given to you by God. The ability to earn a living has been given to us by God. And it all belongs to Him. And therefore, as Christians, we are to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. Now, there are those who like to argue about the tithe. 
You hear people all, all the time arguing about the tithe. Well, the tithe is in the Bible. They say, well, that, that was, you know, that's the law. No, they're mistaken. Because before the law was given, Abraham paid tithes. You understand? Several hundred years before the law was given, Abraham was paying tithes. And so did Isaac and so did Jacob. Jacob prayed and he said, Lord, if you will bless me and provide for me, then certainly I will give back to you the tenth, the tithe. And then you'll recall on one occasion where Jesus was talking with the, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. And he said, you, you take tithing to the extreme. He said, you, you even tithe off of the very spices in your home. But the most important things, uh, the most important matters of the law, like love and forgiveness and compassion, those you've neglected. Those things you should not have neglected, nor the other. What is he saying? Yes, you should be a loving, compassionate tiger. Amen? Yeah, and over in the New Testament, it does say, as you purpose in your heart, so give unto the Lord. But you might want to start at the time. Because most people don't realize that that actually the Jewish people, it, it's estimated, may have given as much as 30% of their income to the Lord because of all of the other offerings that they gave to on a regular basis. But he says, give to God what is God's. Well, let's move on because I'm going to run out of time here quickly. So the second question concerns relationships in eternity. Mm, both. And we could spend time here. The Sadducees, and we've said that before, they were sad, you see. <laughs> they did not believe in the resurrection. This is what they believed, like many people believe today. That when you die, that's it. Lights out. You cease to exist. That is not what the Bible teaches. Nor what the Bible demonstrates. So the condition, their attempt was to ridicule the idea of the resurrection. So they gave this extreme case. And what they were referring to here was Leverite marriage. In the Old Testament times, in the ancient times, yes, in, in Jewish households or Jewish families, if a man died before he had children, then his brother would marry or, or hit the, uh, the spouse that was left in an effort to ensure that his brother's name would continue. Because it dealt with the inheritance of the land and the home that was given to them. Because God provided them all their own family land and, and home. And that was to remain in their possession in perpetuity. And so they, they used this extreme example and then ask the question. So they all had her, so who, who's, you know, who's going to be her husband in heaven, in the resurrection? Now notice what he says, you are mistaken. Now I want to encourage you to follow Jesus' example. Now we talk about following the example of the Lord, right? 
And the example of the Lord is this. It is not wrong to indicate that someone is mistaken. They made a huge blunder in the public schools when they got to the point where they wouldn't tell children that they were wrong or making a mistake. For fear that they might hurt the child's self-esteem. Just let him go on into middle school and then into high school and when he can't pass the classes and he, and he drops out. What do you suppose that will do for his self-esteem? Jesus said, you're mistaken, not knowing the scripture. These people should have known the scripture. They were religious leaders. But the Sadducees did not believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in the power of God. Jesus says, you know not the power of God, nor the scripture. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in eternal life. You say, that's strange. Yes, it is strange. But there are people today who teach the same thing. They look at us and they, they think that we're crazy, that we're nuts, that we're backward in our thinking. And then he goes on to tell them, people aren't married in heaven. Now, I didn't write that. Because you hear people, ladies, all they're looking forward to is seeing their husband in heaven. Well, guess what? In heaven, he's not going to be your husband. Or men who say, you know, the Lord took my wife, yes, and I'm looking forward to seeing her again. Well, you're going to see her again if she was a Christian and you're a Christian, but guess what? You're not going to be married and your relationship is going to be completely and totally different. Yes, we're going to know one another, but the Christian family and the family of God, including the Jewish saints as well as the Christian saints, is a huge family. Huge. Numbering in the billions. And we all have a responsibility and a ministry and a place and activity in heaven. We're not going to be laying around with, you know, people dropping grapes in our mouths and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And here, the, the Mormons are, are, are in violation of this, you know, among many other things that they teach. Because they teach that if a guy is, is holy enough in this life, then when he dies, he will go to his own celestial kingdom and have his own planet. And he'll have all of these celestial wives. Because, you see, they believe, and, and you need to understand this, when you hear them pray, and they pray to Father, they're praying, they believe, to Adam. They believe Adam is the father of this planet, or the God of this planet. Now, I don't have time to go into all of that, but they are mistaken. That is a false doctrine. You see, when the Christian dies, the body goes into the grave, but the soul, the spirit, goes back to the Lord. And the day will come on, during the rapture, whenever it occurs, that somehow this body is going to be transformed into a glorified body like the body that Jesus has 
that enabled him to appear before the disciples when they were in the upper room and the doors were locked. We, we studied that in Bible study this morning. And he just appeared. Well, guess what? We're going to have that kind of body. Not subject to the limitations that this body has upon this earth. And he tells them, you are mistaken. And then he goes on to say, people are like. People do not become angels. Angels are of a different created order. And they do not procreate. That is why we as humans have the ability to procreate. But the angels do not. So that we can continue to multiply and multiply. All this nonsense about you should only have one child. No, that, you, you don't read that in the Bible. That's a violation of the Bible. God said be fruitful and multiply. The angels do not procreate. When we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, we will no longer need to procreate. There is but one marriage, and it is the marriage of the bride and the lamb. The bride is the church, and the lamb is Jesus Christ himself. That's the only marriage. And then notice Jesus quotes from Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, he says, God is the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. If they, if they weren't alive, he would have said, God is the Father, was the Father of. But it was not was, it he is, because he's the eternally present one. And just as he lives, his children live as well. You and I, who know the Lord, will live forever. And then lastly, the greatest commandments are explained. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The heart is the core of one's being. It is what makes you uniquely you. And it is there that you are to love the Lord. With your soul, your suke in the, in the Greek, the life, the personality, all that you are, and your mind, rational thought. It is irrational to not believe in God. Those who think we're crazy are really the crazy ones. Really, they're in a tragic condition. A sad, tragic condition. They say that we are irrational. No, we are not. We are the most rational. To be a normal human being you must know Christ as your Savior. Anyone who doesn't know the Lord as their Savior isn't normal. They are abnormal. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know some people read that and you, you, do you know what they get out of that? Oh, I'm supposed to love myself. I'm supposed to love myself. That's, you're not supposed to be in love with yourself. What the Bible says is that you, you take care for yourself. You eat, right? You take care of your body. The doctor says you need this particular medication. You take that medication, you, and hopefully you're a good patient. But you, you care for yourself. And as you care for yourself, you should care for others as well. 
And just as you're, you're, you're loving and forgiving of yourself, you ought to be loving and forgiving of others, and you ought to be helpful. And the great example of this, loving your neighbor, is the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. Right, all the religious leaders, they, they walked over on the other side. Oh, but this one man, and he was a Samaritan. You remember? He saw that man that had been beaten and left for dead, and he cleaned his wounds. He picked him up. He put him on his own animal. He took him to an inn, and he paid for what he ate and for his stay there. That is what it means to love your neighbor. Love is God's gift, and it is also his command to humanity. Well, what do we learn from these passages as we bring this message to a close? Christians are to pay their taxes. Christians are to be faithful stewards. And our relationships in eternity will change. And we're to live by the royal law of God's love. So we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. That invitation is the Lord's invitation to you. And you all know this one here, just as I have. And maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Reach out to him in a simple act of faith in and through prayer. Ask him to come into your heart, into your life. Maybe you've been playing Christian. You need to rededicate your life. Rededicate your life now. Maybe you're wondering about church membership. You come and join here. Or to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Let's stand to our feet, please, as we sing, Just as I am, and you come as the Lord leads you. pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.